Welcome to another episode of Sound Motives with me, Dave Kushtiller. Now, this is episode three, but if you're not familiar with the show already, in each episode I interview a musician that I'm a fan of, and I try to uncover what has influenced and inspired them in the way they make music, exploring both their approaches to creativity and the challenges involved in doing just that for a living. I'm also really interested in highlighting content that for each guest has genuinely excited and motivated them at various times throughout their lives. After each interview, I research these topics and link to documentaries, articles, playlists, photos, whatever I can find online. So whilst listening, if any of these sound sources are of interest, you can find out more about them on the Sound Motors website. The hope is that these sound sources either reveal something about the guest or just give you an opportunity to discover interesting stuff. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, SoundCloud, and the podcast is on iTunes. So... Episode 3, we have a true pioneer of the bass music scene. He's the man behind the DMZ Club Night, the Deep Medi record label, and he's one half of the Digital Mystics production duo. It is none other than Mala. Mala's been central to the development of the dubstep sound and related movements ever since those early days when it emerged out of South London around the turn of the millennium. And in recent years, as dubstep splintered off in many different directions, he's continued to push the deep medi sound whilst looking to other cultures and traditions as his starting point for his own album projects. First, he went to Cuba and more recently Peru with a new album out on Brownswood. Over the next hour, we're going to hear about Mala's story and a bunch of sound sources that influenced him along the way. But first, let's check out Kotos, the opening track from Mirrors. Thank you. 
what's happening this is O'Mala I am a producer DJ label owner promoter I grew up in a place called Norwood which is a uh, SE25 is the postcode it's just right as south as you can go with a London postcode you go a couple more minutes south then you get to CR which is the Croydon postcode and Croydon is technically Surrey growing up I always wanted to uh, play football I played football for many years um, from as long as I can remember my dad was a manager of a football team so I used to play for the football team uh, when I was 11 I got scouted for Millwall so I played at Millwall from the age of 11 to about 16 I had reoccurring knee injuries which really kind of knocked me a bit and that probably prevented me from my game because um, on the breaks that I had with those knee injuries I ended up really discovering more and more music and then I found myself with more heart for that and I was losing the heart for the dedication that you need to have to be a, a, a professional footballer you know so that was the, the, the path I took is this 90s? yeah this is like mid 90s okay so you know, what, what I, kind of music at that point was getting your, your interest? I was a junglist Five for Christmas, I think in '92. Tune in, tune in, tune in. You know what I mean? And then finding some of these these mad break beats. And I remember it sounding so alien, but at the same time, I felt so connected to it. And that was the really the first time where I gave music that kind of focus and attention, and getting the feeling of being completely overwhelmed by something and really nourished. You know. You're talking your, your Groove Rider and Fabio, Kenny Ken, Mickey Finn, Nicky Black Market, Randall, Ray Keith, Doc Scott, Goldie, uh, all the metalhead stuff, you know, was, you know, we used to go to metalheads in, in the mid 90s, um, which was, you know, an, an amazing experience to go and, you know, they used to get a big sound system in there called Eskimo Noise, used to run the sound system at the metalheads events. It was that whole culture, you know.
that was the in right but as you know and as you can hear from those early hardcore and jungle records they have the old roots and reggae they had the hip hop had the jazz they had elements of everything do you get what I'm saying of, of, of acid and, and you know because a lot of those DJs were, were playing kind of house yeah you know what I'm saying yeah. so Jungle really opened up a world of music to me and I was never one to be try to just limit or confine myself to one thing even though we were diehard junglists right. um, for a period of time I always knew that Jungle was made up of so many influences from all over the place so as I got older you know you would discover more things through a sample and you would go and research okay that sample's from a, a 70s track or a track in the 60s or it's from a Roots record or you know so for me it was endless discovery as it still is today of just discovering and exploring frequencies and sounds and um, definitely when it comes to making music I was drawing from all of those influences because when we started when I say we it was always me Koki and Lofa and Pokes that were always we kind of started making music together as well me Koki and Pokes we went to the same school Lofa went to a different school but yeah we laugh about it now because in class listening to our Desert Storm tape pack you know what I mean with the uh, with the headphone yeah, going up, up the up the up the, uh, the sleeve of the blazer you know what I mean and it was difficult for me you know because I was, I'm, I'm totally deaf in my left ear and I'm right-handed. So for me, it was kind of, you know, I mean, it was like a, it was a real commitment. It was all the logistics. Yeah, it was difficult. But you know, when we were doing that and we'd be emceeing, making up our lyrics and, and stuff, I remember kids in the class taking the piss. Oh, look at you, man. You, man, think you're playing at World Dance. You, man, think you're playing at a rave. Rah, rah, rah. And you know, it's kind of, me and Pokes always laugh about it, you know, because funnily enough, I haven't seen many of my old school people from school out but it'd be funny if, if they were to know what we've we, we kind of achieved yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, not to say uh, we told you so but you know from back then we was of a mindset that we we, we love this thing and we were doing it and we were kind of almost uh, dreaming and, and, and striving for it without really knowing because when you're 13, 14, 15 years old as I say I was playing football but you're, you're, you're never really thinking that you're gonna this any of this is gonna happen you know Thank you. 
finish! Bang. Nice little jungle rinse out courtesy of my guest on Sound Motors, Mala. In the background, it is Simple Things by Shy Effects from 1995, and before that, Gunsmoke and Shy Effects, yes, Original yes. Gangster from 1994. Now, I've chosen Jungle as the first sound source from this episode, and there are some killer documentaries that cover that period over on the Sound Motors website. There's VHS footage from the Blue Note Metalheads era, a recent Days and Confused documentary on Jungle, as well as a classic BBC documentary on LTJ Bookham that I remember watching way back in my teens. Now, getting back to Mala, despite this early Jungle obsession that he had, by his late teens, Mala was getting booked for raves in the emerging UK garage scene. And for a brief period, he was actually signed to a major label as a garage MC. Although, unfortunately, that came to a premature end before Mallow was even in his 20s. I bring that up now because it comes up later. But next, I want to skip forward to a key period a few years later, to when dubstep was in its infancy, to hear Mallow's perspective on how the sound emerged and how his own sound came about from that. But first, Mallow's influence both in and beyond the dubstep scene is considerable. And to evidence this, let's check out James Blake's harmony mix of changes and then the original by Mala from 2007.
we was already trying to make like 94 Jungle, but obviously we was in like 2002 or whatever, so it didn't sound right. But it was, again, it was about the practice. It was about going through it, about learning. And then it just, I don't even know, I guess it's a combination of writing and loving and having an education through Jungle music. being involved in the garage scene as deeply as I was there was kind of like this cross point where the tempo was a bit faster than the garage but slower than jungle drum and bass and obviously the 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 kind of the dub bass lines that you could find in the b-side of the garage tracks as well as in the jungle track so somehow we just kind of started forming this sound in a way so and then when I went to Big Apple Records in Croydon and linked up with people like Hatcher and that and played him this music Hatcher was like I can play that because Hatcher was playing all of the the B-sides of Garage Tracks and Forward had already started at that time and there was a little movement that was happening there and um, I remember the guys at Big Apple's telling me to send the music to Temper which is you know Neil a guy called Neil uh, Jaloffi and, and, and Sarah who still runs Temper now they were the you know so I remember sending them but they never gave no feedback at that time and then it was Arthur from uh, from Artwork from Magnetic Man who was also at Big Apple Records it was really him and John at Big Apple Records and Hatcher that was like you know what we're just going to press this up and see what happens and they really had the belief and took the risk in, in what me and Koki was doing and that was where we released our first Digital Mystics 12 on, on Big Apple Records And as a result of our in, Lofa was making music because we was all making music. And we were saying to Lofa, Lo, bruv, you've got to take your music down to Hatcher because he's going to love it. And this is these tunes like Indian Dub and a couple of the ones that got released on Big Apple Records. And I still remember this day when Hatcher first played, you know, a Lofa tune at, at, at Forward. And I remember, I never forget Lofa's face when he's just, just seeing him, you know, just seeing the reaction from him. He couldn't, he couldn't believe it. <laughs> just as when our tracks got played we couldn't believe it and you know it's an amazing experience to look back and have those memories of your close friends it's something that you can't can't buy and you can't can't really replace you know it really was a moment in time and um yeah i guess again that location of where we the location of where i lived the education from jungle the involvement from garage the fact that the record label messed up in a big way and they showed me no love as a human being all they were interested about was numbers and making their money back which is fine I understand that music is a business but also when you're dealing with a 19 year old or anybody for that matter you've got to understand that people's lives hopes and dreams are also going to be built within that deal in a way, that's what why we were so fiercely independent and why we decided, you know, to start DMZ and do it all of ourselves because I didn't want to be so misrepresented again. Because even when we were going around to the record stores, 
with the early DMZ records, people were like, what, what, what do we call this? I remember going into Soul Jazz Records and then being like... That was before it had any kind of a name. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the name was floating around, but nobody knew nothing because it was so low-key and so, you know, it was only a handful of people going down to forward. Right. Um, so it was one of those ones where people would be like, what is, what is this? I can't put that on. I don't know where to place it on the shelf. And I remember going into Soul Jazz and them going, sorry, but we can't, we don't think we can sell this. And it's funny because by DMZ4, <laughs> I remember getting off, going up to Soul Jazz, them taking a box. And by the time that I got home from Soho back down to Norwood, I had a phone call saying, we've just sold out of the box. Can you come back and bring us another one? And that, that then, that was DMZ004. It was Koki's release, the orange uh, center uh, artwork, uh, Mood Dub and Officer. I remember that being like, okay, something's happening here. rate that we were shifting the units was changing the interest from people were changing obviously what was happening in the dances as well was was changing um so it just felt like a momentum was being built you know and as i say that's why because of the experience that's why i was so independent and that's another reason why i started doing uh, deep medi in a way it was because i was doing youth work at the time after i left this debt recovery job i worked at vodafone for a while again these just Doing something that you hate every day is hard work, man. And I, I don't say this in a derogatory kind of way, but I wish people would stop doing things that they hate doing in life. I know it's mad, it's a difficult thing to say because there's a system in place that means that we have to work and earn money. But you know, I'm, I, sometimes when I speak to my dad and say, you know, I was work, he's just my dad hated his job for how many years, you know, decades, and it's like I've been very lucky that I don't I don't live like that. So that was one of the reasons why I take music so seriously. That's why I feel so responsible in order to challenge myself and challenge the audience, whether it be through making music or playing music in a dance. And um, like that soul jazz situation, for example. I found myself in a situation where record stores in London were asking me what's going on. And it felt like a real opportunity to try and provide a platform for people to maybe help them get out of their nine to fives. For me, it just felt like that was what was supposed to be. It wasn't pre-planned.
discovering like Augustus Pablo and that in the mid 90s as well and uh, you know hearing his freedom when he used to play the way that he plays the, the melodica they just felt like there was such a freedom within that there was no there didn't seem like there was a structured arrangement to the way that he played dub music's quite like that it's quite free mm. you will get a mad effect coming in at a random bit of the, of the song mm-hmm. and it won't ever happen again it just happens <laughs> that one time right. and it was all those little intricate things that I used to you know those are the things that gave me the that really satisfied me when listening to that type of music it was the subtlety in the music that I really love and those are the things that I focus on I think when I try it when I make music it's it's not a big brash uh, drop or colour that goes look at me I think it's a much more of a, a subtle sound that I produce
In the background, it is Digital Mystics, classic anti-war dub from 2006. And before that, you heard a track from the second sound source from this episode, the legendary melodica and reggae dub producer Augustus Pablo. Now, there's some amazing footage of him filmed back sometime in the 1970s, which is definitely worth checking out. So have a look on the Soundmotors website. The track you heard from Augustus was Frozen Dub, taken from the King Tubby's Meets Rockers Uptown album. But there's so much quality stuff from him, it's really worth digging a little bit deeper. Now, before that, you heard a bunch of key dubstep tracks that shaped Mala's experience of that movement. It was Koki, Mood Dub, Lofa, Indian Dub, and Pathways by Digital Mystics. So we've heard about Jungle and the emergence of that 140 BPM dubstep sound. But now that Mala has become more established and has developed his own loyal following, does he feel any pressure of expectation from his audience? So, for example, with a track like Anti-War Dub that has gone on to become an anthem that represents an entire movement, does he still feel ownership over a song like that or is it no longer his? In a way, I never really feel complete ownership of the music that I've made. Um partly because there's a process that happens um, whilst in exploring and creating which I don't understand I, I, don't, I don't understand everything that inspires me I don't understand some of the, uh, the some of the dreams and the imaginations that I have when listening to music a lot of the time I couldn't tell you why I'm putting those two sounds together at that moment in time maybe when I look back on it I can look at it from a scientific point of view and go of course I chose those two sounds because they relate in a certain way but I, I've never felt like the music was mine to own um, for the reasons I've just explained and so actually you mentioned like a, a song like Anti-War Dub I actually listen to it now with a different kind of enjoyment because I'm so detached from it because it happened so long ago um, that track in a way is, is maybe slightly different in, in some respects because it's a track that still gets re- requested a lot today when I'm playing um, it's a track that I don't play every set but I, I, I play a, a good portion of my sets over the last decade um, and that's again because again some people will moan but they oh man still playing Andy Ward I man made that what seven years ago ten years ago but you're forgetting that I'm not playing to people my age. I play to people that are 18, 19, 20. I'm usually the oldest one in the dance when I'm playing these days. So a lot of the youngsters that are coming out for the first time to hear this music, they've only heard that on YouTube or or wherever they've, some radio rip somewhere. So it's nice to be at this stage in my career and have my bag as deep as it is to be able to draw from old tracks as well as again, play new tracks. If I was just playing the same old song week in, week out, I'm sure I'm sure I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. But as I say, I feel a great deal of uh, responsibility, not just to my myself, but, you know, to the artists that I work with and to my audience to just keep keep experimenting and exploring. And I, I don't know whether my audience will continue to grow and, and, and come on the journey with me, but I trust that this is the way that I go and I trust that there will be some people that will also be curious and... Um, you know, this is the the reason why I do it is for my own curiosity, and I guess people lock onto music for their own uh, curiosity and enjoyment as well. You know. Mm-hmm. 
Mallow's record label Deep Medi is celebrating its 10th birthday this year. So for a guy who has a proven track record of spotting and supporting up and coming talent for over a decade, I was curious to hear who Mal is particularly excited about right now. The whole Bristol thing has always been very uh, inspiring and influential. Uh, you know, and that goes back again to my first love jungle, you know what I mean? Um, but what I what I really enjoy about what Khan's doing um, is they have taken, I guess, either the time or they're just naturally made that way to be to really delve deep into the history of different things that they're into. And they don't just do one type of thing. So, you know, Khan makes what he makes as Khan, but when he does Khan and Neek, they make much more of a grime-orientated music and they play much more that kind of sound when they play. And that's what they put, you know, they put that music out on Bandulu Records, um, as well as signing other artists, uh, you know, on, on, on their label that are putting out more of a, a kind of a grime sound. As Gorgon Sound, they're making Steppers, um, which gets played at, at sound system events, and all of their sounds are authentic. So, again, by studying and by understanding the past, I think you're able to create something new, which is your own, which doesn't sound like you're copying anybody else, but it has all of the beautiful things of the past that we love as well. And I think that's why someone like uh, Khan is is at the moment talked about a lot and is, is, is prolific and is playing more and more shows, you know, week in, week out. Um, it's because he, I think he, he, he genuinely loves it and cares and he's, he, this is who he is. In the background, it is Over There So by Khan, which came out last year on Mala's own Deep Medi record label. Now, Khan is the third sound source from this episode, so I've linked his SoundCloud into various mixes online for you to explore over on the SoundMotors website. Next, I wanted to hear Mala's thoughts on creativity, and where, after 20 years of working in the music industry, he finds satisfaction from his art. This is one of the things that made me question a lot of things about life, actually, because if I was able to find this space within myself, with all my madnesses, all my stresses, all my flaws, all my loves. If I was able to find this peace and this stillness through making music, 
does it exist in other places as well and can it exist in for sustained periods of time because sometimes you're sitting sometimes I sit in the studio and six, seven, eight hours would have passed but I haven't really moved haven't really drunk haven't really eaten but you're just there not a need or want or desire for anything not even to finish what you're working on because there is no concept of finish because it's purely being there to create and for me that's really where I find my satisfaction and my joy it's not in finishing a piece of music it's certainly not in selling music it's actually exploring and being at one with everything in the studio and I find that space as well when I play music to an audience I can find the same space where it doesn't matter if there's a thousand people there or ten people there when I'm locked into that zone I just love sharing music and there is no want or need for anything
You're listening to Sound Motors with me, Dave Kushtiller, and my guest, Mala. We just heard about creativity, but what role, if any, does spirituality play in that process? Marianne Hobbs once told me a story, and she said a listener called her up to thank her because the listener was apparently driving down the motorway, ready to, to finish themselves because they'd had enough. And she played Andy Ward up, and the, apparently the person pulled over to the side of the road, took a minute, you know what I mean? And as a result of that situation, they didn't go through with what they intended to go through with. Um, I've had people say that they've got married to certain songs, like Alicia, for example. Yeah, I've had so many people, oh, I met my girl like that, oh, I got married to my <laughs> girl like that. We played it as our wedding, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I've also had people send me messages saying that my brother played their your song at their funeral. This isn't me. I don't feel this is me. This is the unknown elements of energy or force, whatever, spirituality, whatever you want to call it. This is that which is within all of us. We all have the ability to heal ourselves, but sometimes we just need a little reminder or a little help in hand to kind of bring us to our senses within a certain situation or to kind of put the icing on the cake to make something feel special. And we do that with music sometimes, you know what I mean? The amount of times that you will listen to a piece of music that can cheer you up or bring you out of a, a mad situation. There is something that happens with people coming together in a space and celebrating life um, without the worries of the mundane uh, normalities that we have to go through you know day in day out worrying about this worrying about that getting up nine to five da, 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 da. when we remove all that and something happens man with, with music and people um, and is it spiritual I think that's for the uh, that's for everybody to decide for yourself
As I get older, I'm aware my relationship with club culture is changing. In my late teens and early 20s, it was a necessity. I needed to hear the music loud and feel the subs on my chest, and I needed to dance. It offered an exciting new world for me to discover, and I built a central part of my own identity around that. Today, club culture remains an interest to me, which I continue to follow from a distance, but the fever to partake in it has waned. So for someone who has had a career centered around sound systems and club culture, I was curious to hear whether Mala's relationship with the dance floor is something he's ever considered and whether it's a relationship that changes. One of my greatest loves, as you know, was jungle music, which was always pretty much rooted to the dance. As you listen to jungle music, you listen to sound system music, which is about sound system and the dance. But then also in my, uh, you know, in my kind of like 18, 19, like the late 90s, 
um, I discovered people like Nitin Sawney, where their music, it didn't make me think of the dance, but it was a broad music that made me really listen, and it had influences from lots of different places in the world, especially Beyond Skin and, and Prophecy. Those two albums there, for me. Beyond Skin, I think, if you said to me you can only take one album away, that would probably be the album that I would take away. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to that record. It was released in 99. Um, I listened to that album at least a couple of times a year, every year. And probably when I first got that album, I listened to it and so many more times. But Knit and Sawney is probably one of my favourite artists. Um, and those two albums especially are, are, are very important records to me. So from a very early age, before I was really doing what I'm doing now... I always had that. I always had the dance and the dance brings a certain energy and fulfills a certain need. When I was younger, I listened to much more music for the dance at home. But at the same time, I was listening to other stuff as well, which was more maybe just for listening. But now I guess the ratios probably change. When I'm at home, I'm not really thinking about the dance, and which is quite interesting because as a producer, it also is quite conflicting because sometimes I'm... I'm also in my mid-30s. Um, I haven't got the same energy as an 18, 19-year-old because I've experienced that countless of times. So there comes a time of where I still love playing music in the dance and I, I enjoy making music for the dance. But at the same time, there's a huge part of me that wants to explore, you know, the, the other world of, of music, which is, you know, isn't made for that, that environment.
And I think that's what these albums are actually doing for me. They, they're actually my outlet for really the music that I want to make. Um, I've made so many records that are for dubplate, you know. Um, and it's funny because it's almost, you know, from a from an audience's point of view, you will never, you know, that's why you never worry about trying to please people because there'll be some people that go oh man ain't making no more tunes for the dance you know what I mean man's just going off on these cultural <laughs> adventures and, and making what's this Cuba thing what's this Peru thing but you know at the same time I've always been about representing myself honestly openly when it comes to music um, and if that's what I'm doing naturally in the studio is geared toward making something that's more challenging for me and maybe more challenging for my listeners because maybe they're just used to listening to 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 a, a certain sound or a certain scene and that's what I'm I'm going to do it's what inspires me and, and encourages me as a producer it's just to keep exploring new new territories You're listening to Kaya Efe from Mala's first album project built around the music of a foreign land. It is, of course, Mala in Cuba from 2012. And before that, it was Knit and Sawney with the tracks Tides and Sunset. I chose Knit and Sawney as another sound source for Mala, so check the Sound Motors website to learn more about him. He's a phenomenal musician. Over the last hour, we've looked at the role of the dance floor, spirituality and creativity, as well as the influences on Mala, right back through dubstep, garage to jungle. But looking to the future, is it a time for optimism? You see those guys like Goldie, for example, last year was did his uh, orchestral timeless album at Royal Festival Hall, celebrating 20 years of the, the album. And, you know, to see him still going out, still killing it the way that he does now, and still taking on new adaptations and new ways of presenting music to people, for me is really inspiring because I almost feel like I'm at that halfway point. You know what I mean? I'm a good 10, 11 years in. I'm actually, for my music career, I started playing music in clubs in 94, 95. So it's actually longer in terms of my career, but in terms of this production thing that I've been on, this Digital Mystics Mala thing, has been has been... You know, it feels like the 10-year mark. We did DMZ 10 last year. And for me, it really felt like a line had been drawn where everything in the past will always be relevant and it has its time and place. But what's happening right now is very inspiring. There's a lot of new music being made, like seeing people like Goldie doing their thing. But then at the same time, seeing what's happening with people like Stormzy, mm-hmm. also from Croydon. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? New music, new fresh generation coming who have a voice and who are creating, you know, who who are saying something. And for me, that's also equally as inspiring to kind of almost feel in the middle of yeah, yeah. those two things. And yeah, it's just a real great time to be to be involved in music. And I, yeah, I, I'm loving it, man. Man, Chelsea's better than me. Tell my man, shut up. Mention my name in your tweets. I rule by shut up. Shut up. Better than me? Shut up. Shut up. Best in the scene. Tell my man, yo, yo, couple man call me a backup dancer on stage of the Brits, I'm a backup dancer. If that makes me a backup dancer, the man in your vids, the man in your pics. Man wanna chat about backup dancer. Big man like me with a beard, I'm a big man, how the fuck can I? Army comes everywhere I go. I can't run with my enemy show. Walk in the club with all of my trucks. Party's done, everybody go home. Apart from the girl, then you lost it. Walk in the club with a girl, say hey. Tell a man like I'm K to the A. 
There's no champagne, we don't rave. Yeah, I'm the best, I'm so cocky. I got a mob like Ace at Rocky. I set trends, dumb man copy. They catch feelings, I catch bodies. They roll deep, I roll squaddy. Got about 25 dudes in my posse. They drink Baileys, I drink Bossy. I get murky, they get worried. If you got a GAT, bring it out. Most of real bad boys of itself. If you wanna do me, something I'm about. I'm not a gangster, I'm just about. But you see my man over there with a pouch? They wanna you, man, try get loud. All of my man, them move so foul. I might sing, but I ain't sold out. Nowadays, all of my show sold out. Headline tour, yeah, blood sold out. When we roll in, they roll out. I'm so London, I'm so south. Food on the ends, like there ain't no drought. Fips don't talk like he's got no mouth. I wanna make my mum so proud. Like, yo, mum, book a flight, go now. All of my ex girls talking me hard. Talk to my face and talk to my palm. Had four bills and I bought me a car. Little red whip that I bought for my march. I straight murky to walk in the park. I take care when I walk on my plants. These MCs wanna talk about Lord of the Mags. You ain't even Lord of the Yard. Dead MCs, blood, leave me alone. Me and your girl will speak on the phone. Kill a whole crew of MCs on my own. Kill a whole crew of MCs for the throne. I was out hungry. So I'm hungry, man try eat then leave me the bones Now these niggas they need me to grow Hot chocolate and a panini to go I'm a big man for the postcode war Man are upset by the mobile wards Yeah I was guest at the mobile wards Why? Cause I ain't won the mobile before Duh, all of you MCs sound so bitter Shut down wireless, shut down Twitter Shout out DP, shout out Flipper Best my age yeah, blood Look if you don't rate me, shame on you If you don't rate me, shame on you Can I order a deathbed for an MC? He wants beef, let me make that too Anyone else wanna make that move? Anyone else wanna pay their dues? Imposters wanna take my tune Sift chocolate, yeah, my face so smooth Check it, don't even talk too much for a talker The man still go halves on a quarter Saw me turn for a pinch to a pauper Two cigarettes and a bottle of water Tell the brown so I get the bottles in order Man in the kitchen putting in orders Sift chocolate, skin clear like water Smoothing this thing, start locking up doors that was Stormzy, who is the final sound source from this episode. Shouts to Mala for taking the time to speak with us. It was a real honor. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Motors, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and on iTunes. There's much more to come, and this time I swear it won't take nine months for the next episode. I'm going to leave you with one more track. This track is entitled Sound of the River, which is taken from Mala's album Mirrors, which is out now on Brownswood. Enjoy, and catch you soon. Pasonido, jaca pasonido, huilla y huilla y cuai. Taita mamá y también samento pinganiracho, chaita y chamanaña. Sonido